Stop exercising to be skinny. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. If I could tell my 25-year-old self anything, it'd be like, pick up some weights. Your muscle mass is everything and your body is fighting to shed muscle every day after 35. And it accelerates in perimenopause and menopause. And that muscle mass is what is going to keep you as healthy as possible as you age. We exercise to be strong for strong minds, strong bones, strong muscles, and strong hearts. Welcome everyone to the Cracking Open podcast. I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately, especially over the past 38 episodes that I've done here. I'm starting to see a theme with my guests and it's around them embodying the archetype of the wounded healer. Now, if you don't know what the wounded healer is, it is a term coined by Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung. And it is a theory that people who have been wounded, which is all of us, I hate to tell you, and everything I've seen, we've all been wounded some way, they can provide others with a deeper sense of patience, empathy, resources, and acceptance. In fact, it's our own hurt and pain that provide us with the power to help heal others by sharing our own stories. And we can help inspire others to share and heal their own wounds as well. Well, today's guest definitely fits that mold. Dr. Mary Claire Haver, on the outside, is a very accomplished physician who is inspiring thousands of women to take their health into their own hands to educate themselves on the life changes of perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. And let me tell you, someone who's in menopause, not to be TMI, I am so grateful for her. We need her. But she's not only a physician, she is a wife and a mom and an entrepreneur who has devoted her adult life to women's health. As a board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Haber has delivered thousands of babies, completed thousands of well-woman exams, counseled patients, taught residents, and did everything an academic professor and OBGYN could do. But as her patient population aged, Dr. Haver was overwhelmed with a number of complaints and concerns they had with weight gain while going through menopause. For years, she told her patients to eat less and exercise more. That was just kind of her go-to method. And it wasn't until she, too, experienced the changes of menopause and midlife weight gain that she realized this advice didn't work and ultimately led her to creating and developing her online program, The Galveston Diet. See how she's becoming the wounded healer? And it is this Galveston Diet that is currently has over 100,000 students and is now a book version, The Galveston Diet, released by Penguin Random House in January of 2023. And as part of her ongoing research, she became also a certified in culinary medicine, specializing in medical nutrition. But it is not only Dr. Mary Claire Haver's experience as a physician, the outward life, and her own physical changes that occurred during menopause that makes her a wounded healer. Oh no, it goes back to her own story of her childhood. In this episode, we talk a lot about her childhood and losing her older brother to leukemia when she was only nine years old and to the other losses she's experienced as an adult that make her someone that is able to compassionately and offer with humor, which I am so grateful for. We need a lot of humor these days relate to her clients and many other people participating in her Galveston diet and following her on social media. She has one of the best social medias. So much information is there in the realm of menopause education. 
She has over 2 million followers on TikTok and is very engaged on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And it's all of this that makes her resonate so much with my heart and my menopausal body (laughs) and every other woman that is going through this time that we have her as a resource, a voice of humor and a light. I learned so much from this interview. I have to tell you, I actually emailed her after and asked if she would become my doctor. But sadly, she cannot because I'm in Oregon and she is in Texas. But we can all learn so much from her today on the Crack Open podcast. So sit back. I hope this makes you laugh. Take some of your hormones and listen to the amazing Dr. Mary Claire Haber. We are so grateful today at the Cracking Open Podcast to have Dr. Mary Claire Haber. She is amazing and a wealth of wisdom and approachability. So I am so grateful you're here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been beginning with this question because the answers have been so powerful. And I want to just begin if you had one intention for this episode, for the listeners, what would it be for you, Mary Claire? That whoever listens to this walks out a little bit more empowered, a little bit more educated, a little bit more ready to advocate for themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about why that would be? What is the passion for you around that intention? Part of it is that I was part of the problem for a long time. I kind of blindly went with, this is all I need to know about women's health. I've learned some amazing things. I've saved so many lives. I've changed lives in so many aspects. But where I was failing, and I think where the system is failing, where the education is failing, was once we're done with reproduction, at least in the OB-GYN world, the women's health world, it's kind of a dearth of information outside of the elderly. And I was part of leading women into a vacuum of, well, there's not much we can do. This is just part of life. Suck it up. This will pass. And that was all just wrong. And I feel this obligation with the voice that I've been given, with my talent for breaking down complicated medical terms into something a layperson can understand and my ability to communicate. I just feel like I have to take my gifts and serve this group of women, which I'm part of myself. Thank you for saying that. And I completely agree. And I was talking to someone the other day about our episode. And well, I actually met with a group of women, a business group of women that I meet with. And I was telling them that I was going to interview you. And we were all talking about, and these are very highly successful lawyers and business owners. And somehow with medicine, there's all this fear. Like we don't have power because we don't have that degree. We don't know what the body breaks down and how you have made it so welcoming and open that we need it because we don't know where to go, even if we're highly intelligent. We shouldn't be the gatekeepers of this. We were kind of taught that we needed to be gatekeepers, that it's better to just don't, you don't have to explain these things, just pat her on the knee and she'll get through it. And that, no, no, you need to educate yourself as much as possible, understand all of your options so that you can make an informed choice for yourself, whatever that looks like. I've always found as a therapist and anyone I've interviewed on this podcast or my coaching group, this doesn't just come because, and I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings when I say this, but like, oh, because I have good intention. I want to be a good doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a good mom. Something personal hits us. 
and it brings us to our knees, our cracking open moments. And so I'm curious if you would share a little bit if that was also part of your motivation. Yes, you've always been passionate about wellness and medicine and health and being a good doctor and fulfilling your obligation as a medical practitioner. But did something else happen in your life, your cracking moment that was like, wait, this is bringing me a different direction? Yeah. And it's hindsight, really, that you can't see it in the moment that it's happening. Something's different. Something's changing. Your brain patterns are going in a different direction. But in 2015, before 2015, I was in my mid-40s and just humming along. I had a bustling OB-GYN practice. I was very well thought of in the community here. I kind of enjoyed this level of celebrity here, you know, delivered everybody's baby. It's a small town. Right. I remember being at the Christmas pageant for my daughter's school and it was a parochial school. So they were angels and sheep and donkeys and wise men and all the things. Looked up on the altar. And so this is kindergarten who every year the kindergartners would do the pageant and counting all the kids, that one, that one, that one, that one. Oh, not that one. I missed that one. (laughs) Of all the babies that I had delivered. I mean, I was just the go-to person and I just loved that. I loved hearing their stories at delivery and being there to catch the baby and taking the pictures and all the things. And so I was doing that. I was also running the residency program. I was an associate program director for the OBGYN residency at the university I was employed at. And I was busy. I had two middle school, high school daughters, and my husband was working overseas. So I was really running the candle at both ends. I had a full-time housekeeper who kind of became my assistant and just to kind of keep everything going. And then my brother, so my oldest brother, so I'm one of eight kids. So There's a lot of DNA floating around here. My oldest brother died when I was nine. He had leukemia and he was one of the first patients at St. Jude's. And they kind of got him from being diagnosed at five with a 5% survival rate. He was one of the first kind of chemo patients at St. Jude's and they got him to 18. He relapsed and then died. He fought it for two more years and then we lost him at, at 19. Sorry, about a year and a half. And I was nine. And so one of six kids at the time. My mother was pregnant for number seven. And the impact of that on our family was huge. He was this larger than life person to me. And then we had the four older than me were all born within five years. So it's kind of a blur of boys. And then a gap and then me and then my sister and then the two cabooses that came after (laughs) Jim. So moving along, 2015 hits my next brother, Bob, who I'm super close to. So Bob had been with the same partner for 35 years, I think, when he died. And I don't remember life really that much without Randy. So I think I was seven or eight when they got together. So he's 10 years older than me. So he was just out of high school when he met his partner. And they had this great life together. And talk about having a gay big brother who was super fun. I mean... There was a trade-off in that we got our house wrapped and people would write nasty things on our sidewalks and it wasn't that easy. But man, having your own personal fashion consultant <laughs> who would do your hair and makeup, make sure you made cheerleader, yes. like all the boxes, you know, yes. and was super fun and all my friends loved him. That was amazing. So we were super close. He and Randy never had kids and they really doted on their nieces and nephews on both sides. And so my girls like adored him you know, the Easter baskets and the clothes and the bows and the, all the things. And so he and Randy 
both had contracted HIV back in when everyone was getting it. And they, Randy's still alive. They had basically found the right cocktail of medications, was doing well, but Bob also had hepatitis. And it was really a slow kind of downward progression. So watching this illness kind of just insidiously get worse. And then the doctor in me, knowing it's coming, and but the sister in me, no, 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 he's beat this so many times. And so we, he had a stroke and I rushed home. He was kind of not himself, very changed personality and was making plans for neuro rehab and all the things he was going to need. And I went back home and he basically stroked out again and they called it. And so rushed home to do his end of life care with my sister, who was a hospice nurse. So she and I, you know, all the friends and family at the bedside for three days, singing and telling stories and all the things, but I was not ready. I was not, 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 not ready. I hadn't said my piece and all the things. So he dies. I go off the deep end emotionally. Never got counseling, had to go right back to work. It took a week off, but then had to go right back and was just barely functioning. The same time I had decided, let me get off the birth control pills I was on forever and see where I'm at menopausally. And I just kind of forgot about that. So I'm having disrupted sleep, hot flashes. I'm not paying attention to anything nutritionally. I'd stopped working out. So I'm gaining weight, but I'm totally attributing all of it. And it was likely very much a big cause of just what I was eating and drinking and yeah, alcohol and all the things. So six or so months after his death, the grief starts lifting. I'm getting better. And I'm like, oh God, look at me. What is this tire around my waist? And I'm like, God, this sounds like all my patients. They're all getting this gut fat. I'm like, all right, work out more, eat less. Time to go back to the gym. And so I was working out, went back to doing crazy cardio and started calorically restricting all the little tricks I used to do to lose the five, 10 pounds. Not working. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, we got to work harder. Got to work harder, just like I tell my patients. And I ended up in this vicious cycle of work out more, eat less. I was calorically restricting to dangerous levels. I was doing these crazy cleanses. I was a doctor. I would never prescribe this to anyone, but I just, it has to work, has to work. My husband pulled me aside one day and he was going on a trip. And I had said something like, when you get back, you're going to have the wife you deserve. That came out of my mouth. He said, honey... I love you. And I don't care what shape you're in, whatever. This has got to stop. Like you're obsessed. This is not healthy. And the girls are watching. They're watching Mm -hmm. you. And so that was like, and I realized I was disordered eating and it wasn't working. So I took that as a challenge, called the PhD nutritionist at the university I was employed at. I'm still type A. And was like, what's going on in menopause? What's happening to me? And then so they sent me down the hole of reading research papers about inflammation, nutrition and inflammation, neuroinflammation, aging, how menopause is related. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff out there about menopause, but no one's talking about it. And so I started developing this nutrition plan, but I realized there was more of a gap. Like, I don't understand all the terminology. Like, can I get a master's in nutrition? Like, this was starting to feel like my path. And there's a gap here. I can help fill this gap. So I found the culinary medicine program at Tulane University, and it was geared for physicians, nurse practitioners, higher level practitioners, so they could get a good background in medical nutrition. And we worked in kitchens 
learning cooking techniques and things that we could pass along to our patients so that we could do better nutritional counseling. So I signed up for that. It took about 18 months. And all through that training, I'm coming up with what I want to tell my patients and practice on myself. So the first pillar of the program became the intermittent fasting and then anti-inflammatory, you know, I put the whole thing together and just started giving it to my patients like a prescription. I made little copies of my plan, no meal plans or anything. I was just like, here's the science and what I believe and here you go. And it was working great for me. And then my girlfriends here in town are like, what are you doing? You look great, you know? And and at the same time, I got with my practitioner. I'm like, these hot flashes are for the birds. I mean, the weights come off, but I am like not sleeping still. We got to do something. And she was educated the same as I was like, well, you know, it's a little bit dangerous. You have this family history of cancer and I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to die if I don't sleep. And so I got on hormone replacement therapy and started talking about that experience on social media and started sharing my nutrition information on social media. And the whole thing, what started out for me as a journey, just nutrition, menopause, and weight loss, really exploded into an overall conversation around menopause. Me just saying the word menopause, mentioning it in my early days on social, the thousands of comments, I realized there is such a tremendous gap. And like you said, Some of these were women with access to the finest medical care in the world. These were women who were completely clueless, who were as educated as you can imagine, even other physicians, besides the people who didn't go to med school or grad school or were just trying to live their best life and just completely frustrated. And I thought, there is so much misunderstanding, misinformation. And then I'm like digging into the menopause literature, hormone therapy, walking back of the Women's Health Initiative and those findings and just realizing this is where I need to be. This is it. This is where I can serve the most people because we are completely underserved. Mm. Very Thank long you so after. much. No, it was perfect because it covered like everything we're going to talk about. But of course, I'm going to bring you back. <laughs> and so thank you so much. We're going to talk a ton about the Galveston diet and hormone replacement therapy and all that. But first of all, I just want to say and I'm sure you've heard this many times, but I am so sorry for the loss of both your brothers. So, and then I lost another one. So Bob died in 2015 and Jude died during COVID in 2020 and my dad died in 2021. So Jude in 20, he made it two years. So in 2018, I was... Galveston diet is becoming a thing and I'm talking about it and everything's going great. My sister-in-law called me. I'll never forget where I was. I was at a hotel here having lunch with a friend and she called me twice back to back. That's not like her. And I said, I got to take this. And so she was in the ER with my brother and she was a radiation technologist. So she knew how to read scans and she sent me a picture of his CAT scan and it had masses all over his liver. Oh no. So he ended up having stage four esophageal cancer <sighs> and he fought it for two years. And so I was better prepared for that one because I wasn't going to like say the things and have the closure. And I did so much of his end of life care and it was a struggle, but I didn't go off the deep end <laughs> like I did with my other brother. Yeah. Um, and then dad, my dad died nine months later. And he was older and had COPD and that this one was not unexpected. And it just is, has been a lot. And 
when you look at someone and you think, oh my gosh, she's got everything. She's so successful, two beautiful, healthy children, a 30-year marriage. That's not always what you think. <laughs> no. I know I'm going to try not to cry, but you're bringing up all this emotion for me. Probably because it's like a very similar thing. I'm guessing you're Catholic. Are you Catholic? I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. One of five kids. My mom mm -hmm. and Irish twins. And within a year and a half, I had seven people die in my life. When you speak about your brothers, I get it. We don't get to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. And I told the rest of my siblings, I was like, I need a break. Oh, I need yeah, to leave. You do. <laughs> you, do. you do. You need a break because grief brings so many things. I'm curious if you've ever thought about, did you become a physician because of the loss of your first brother from leukemia? I grew up in South Louisiana where girls didn't become doctors. That was not normal. And that was never a career path that seemed open to me or anything I would consider. Nursing was the kind of traditional being a teacher or a nurse. Things were changing. I graduated high school in 86 to give you perspective. So, you know, things were changing a little bit. I ended up changing my major a few times. I settled on geology of all things. One, because I took it as a easy science, you know, <laughs> yeah. hang out with the football team. And, uh, <laughs> and then they, instead of a lab, I went on a field trip and it was the first time I'd ever been to the mountains. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I did really well in that class. So I took another one to fulfill my science requirements at the time. And I knocked that one out of the park too. And the, at the time, there was the oil business was in decline and no one was majoring in geology. It wouldn't pay. They had all the scholarship endowed money. So the professors were coming to me like, hey, you seem to be good at this and enjoying this. We've got all this money. We basically can pay the rest of your way through college. And I was wow. like, sure. Yeah. So majored in geology. So that gave me the science background for med school. I actually went to work as a geologist for a couple of years met my husband, who's an engineer, but was immediately knew I wanted something different and then thought, why not med school? And one of the things that drove me was what I wrote in my personal statement was my brother's death and how that always shaped who I was as a kid. And I really thought I was going to go into like pediatric oncology. Well, that didn't happen. But it was really part of realizing I had a scientific brain or a brain that could do science and that I actually was really, really smart when I was not brought up to be, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> that wasn't a necessary gift. And I mean, my mom's super proud of my parents now, but I really think my grandmother thought I was a special kind of nurse. She just didn't, could not understand. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, and, I hear you. Yeah, so that I think was, yeah, part of it was that shaping so much of my childhood. It's almost like pediatric oncology be too close. But yeah, yeah, everything yeah. Sure and right. I did love pediatrics when I actually rotated in it. I liked the kids, but I didn't like the parents. So, <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story because we all know you're human. If you watch you on Instagram, you're hilarious, you're real, you tell the truth, which is what everyone's drawn to now anyway. I mean, can we just get over ourselves and the perfectionism piece? And that is, I think, why people are so drawn to you. And you are bringing forth something that you're like the perfect time. We need it. We need it so deeply. You're in it. I'm in it. All these yeah. other women that are in it. There is a lot, actually a lot of information that it's almost overwhelming. And I can find myself kind of numbing out and be like, I don't want to look at it at all. And I'm just going to trust what my doctor says, which I've had a very crazy story. My doctor didn't return my calls. He didn't send me my labs. Then the lab technician lost my labs. I had to personally go to the doctor's office, ask for my own labs, 
got them all and brought them to my primary care doctor to read my labs on whether I'm in menopause or not. So I've, I personally have a story that I'm very passionate about. That's why I was drawn to you. Can you share a little bit about perimenopause, menopause, sure. and postmenopause? So basically, menopause is the end of your ovaries' ability to produce estrogen and progesterone. They are die. okay? We are born, I don't know if you're, and I didn't really realize this until much later in my training. We're born with all of our eggs as females. Men are not. Men make sperm fresh every day. We are born our, as an embryo, our eggs start developing and they kind of get froze. They go into meiosis. Remember those terms from biology, high school biology? <laughs> they kind of split and then they freeze. Okay. And that becomes our gametes. They're kind of half an egg, half your DNA, half your chromosomes. They split into 26 singlets instead of the pairs. And then awaiting ovulation. So they're in suspended animation. So even before we hit puberty, we lose tons of eggs just from the aging process, okay? And then something magical happens in puberty. It's a very complicated process. It will take all hour to, you know, and everything starts waking up. We become adults and the reproductive cycles begin. What we look like hormonally each month in a normal reproductive cycle kind of looks like an EKG. You know, bim, 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 January, yeah. bim, bim, February, bim, 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 March. Okay. So that goes on from, I don't know how old you are when you start your periods, 14 to somewhere between 35 and 45. And then things begin to change again. As the estrogen production declines as the eggs are aging and being replaced with fibrous tissue. So we're basically just, eggs are dying, we're getting fibrosis in our ovaries. And no other organ in our body is aging that fast. He said they're just, ovaries. Just the ovaries. Wow. And it doesn't happen like that to men. So there's mm. a lot of questions over Lucky why, us that, again. why that happens and can we extend that a little bit? So menopause is when you're done. All of your eggs have dried up. They're gone. They're replaced. No more function, okay? That is one day in your life, the day that happens, okay? It's one year after your last menstrual period clinically. So if you're over the age of 45 and you haven't had a period for a year, you are menopausal. We don't need blood work to prove it. We can, that's not necessary, okay? Okay. Normal menopause can be from 45 to 55. The average age is 51. So there's all this, I'm too young. No, 45 is absolutely under the normal curve for menopause without being early. You can go as late as 55 before we need to do some more tests. It's still maybe 56, 57, but you're out of the normal curve, okay? Mm -hmm. Perimenopause is the beginning of the decline of estrogen production. And that is seven to 10 years before your menopause. Wow. Do the math. You can be 35 to 45 at the beginning of your perimenopause, which is when the symptoms can begin. You may or may not have irregular periods. You may or may not have hot flashes. You may or may not have mood swings. You may or may not lose hair or grow hair in places you don't want it. There is not an organ system in our bodies, including the brain, the bone, the gut, the liver, the heart, the kidneys, all of it. Every single thing has estrogen receptors and is affected by this process. So diagnosing perimenopause is very difficult. 
We don't have a good blood, urine, or saliva test. And anyone who's doing those tests and telling you they're trying to diagnose perimenopause is probably wasting your money. It's a clinical diagnosis. Now, I will do blood work to rule out other conditions that look like perimenopause, like polycystic ovarian syndrome, hypothyroidism, some autoimmune diseases, nutrition deficiencies. I want to make sure I'm not missing something correctable. And if all that blood work is normal and you're having symptoms that you're just not the same and you can't figure out why, then it's most likely perimenopause. It could be frozen shoulder. It could be musculoskeletal. It could be skin changes. Every single organ system. And on the mental health side, worsening ADHD, worsening depression, new onset depression, new onset anxiety. All of this is related to estrogen. Okay, that is so helpful. So, I mean, that's my typical story. Like I'm 52, I'm still, supposedly still menopause, still get a period. And yet my mood, mine was, didn't have hot flashes, didn't have... It's, so it's my same way. impossible for you not to be somewhere in your menopausal and journey. That, but my mood. I mean, like I've always been half glass full, make it happen. And I mean, like I talk to my therapist, my astrologist, my friends, <laughs> anyone like, what is going... Because my labs are all normal. So if it's just something like mental health, doctors saying, oh, it's normal, your kids are getting older. Would you recommend hormone replacement therapies in perimenopause? And Let's just start there. What would be the therapy for that? There's a great study. It's going to be in my new book that looked at treating women and who happened to be treated in perimenopause for their perimenopause. And they looked at depression, risk. And if you are on hormone therapy during perimenopause, either through a birth control pill or patch or cream or whatever, you're being treated with estrogen and, and whatever else your risk of new onset depression is dramatically decreased. Wouldn't that been a nice to know? I want everyone to hear that. So, and not to no throw one's ever said that. No doctors one, under the bus. And that study's been out for a few years. Now, I don't want to throw doctors under the bus because we're not trained. This is an educational problem. When you look at women's health research, so in order to get those papers out, you need money, you need brain power, you need a university behind you. It's hard. It is really hard to get published in a peer-reviewed journal, okay? And you go to PubMed, which we know is the like repository that the government puts together for peer-reviewed journals, where as scientists, we go to find clinical data. And you just type in the word pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And every article with the word pregnancy in it is going to pop up. And that's 1.1 million articles medical journal articles, 1.1 million. Important stuff, not negating that that is groundbreaking research and we needed it. Yes, like where do you begin? Then you're going to type in the word menopause and just see how many pop up. And it's 94,000. So I said, all right, all right. Because these go back to the 1800s, some of these articles. And let's look in the last 10 years. So I just shortened the research window and the same distribution held. The same 10%, 11% to 1%. So it's like a 10 to 1, basically, ratio held in the last 10 years. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on forever. More women, more people with ovaries will go through menopause than have children. And we can impact the quality, longevity, and the function of their lives just as much as we can in pregnancy. But 90% of the money... 90% of the brain power, 90% of the research is going into reproduction. 
Why is that? Why are we suddenly having 90% less value as human beings than we did when we had the ability to get pregnant? Do you think it's on ageism or more reproduction? I think the problem is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's paternalism in medicine. I think it's ageism. I think it is societal, how many people in our society view the value of a woman. And suddenly our value drops with age. Not really a man's does nearly as much. And our value in society, our value at work, our value in medicine, it just... It's ridiculous. And then the more I dug into this, the more shocked I was at this stunning kind of dichotomy. Every year in my board certification, I have to read a series of articles and answer some quiz questions all through this database so I can get my board certification every year renewed. And I went back in the last several years and I looked for menopause-specific articles. Last five years, there was one out of the 30 we have to read every year, one. And it was the groundbreaking study from Circulation Magazine put up forth by the American Heart Association looking at perimenopause, menopause treatment, and the risk of cardiovascular disease. And that women, it's a timing hypothesis, healthy cell hypothesis, women who were treated early in their menopause journey had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease, lower risk of all-cause mortality, overall lower risk of death from cardiovascular disease. And is that simply like estrogen? Yeah, estrogen plus or minus progesterone, depending on if she needed it, was protective against cardiovascular disease. If started early enough, you have to start young. So we have a whole generation of women who are not going to qualify for this that we've left behind. So it's almost kind of like I'm sitting here, even though my numbers were okay, but my mood was not, and I didn't feel normal. Right. And someone could have seen it. Yeah. Come to me and say, you know, I feel fine. I feel fine. I'm like, this is like hypertension. You don't know that there's a problem until it's severe. You know, you have end organ damage. And so we used to only consider hormone therapy for the treatment of symptoms. And that is really still on paper what it is recommended for. Severe hot flashes, osteoporosis prevention. And then currently no one is recommending the societies. It takes a while for this stuff to get pushed through. Everyone's still so scared about the risk of cancer, which have been totally walked back. And I'm having the conversation with my patients around long-term benefits as far as your health, as far as neurodegenerative disease and Alzheimer's and dementia, depression, decreasing your risk of new onset depression and decreasing your risk of cardiovascular disease. That's why I'm taking it. So one, I want to just thank you. And the hot flashes. I think you just even bringing it out and the way you bring it out makes people curious so they can be self-advocating for themselves. So thank you for that. So naming all that, Mary Claire, what would you say are the top things? Because there's tablets, there's patches, there's creams, there's implants. And then there's people who only want to eat organic. And then there's other people who are like, give me whatever you can give me. Where does someone begin? When I sit my patients down, now again, I have a nutrition background and I can do this. And I do their menopause toolkit. I don't lean only on hormone therapy. I think that's doing a disservice with everything I have at my fingertips to help people. I give them a full program of nutrition. I talk about my toolkit. I'm like, I open up your box and the biggest, most important in your caboodle cubby is going to be nutrition. You cannot out-medicate nutrition that's not serving you. That's got to come first. Now we're going to talk about movement, both cardiovascular activity and resistance training. And I talk about how important it is. I'm able to do muscle scans and see if they're sarcopenic and measure their muscle mass and their visceral fat and all that. 
Then we talk about pharmacology, hormones, non-hormones. What could be the benefits? What can it help with right away? What symptoms are they having, et cetera? If they're not candidates, we talk about non-hormonal options. We talk about supplementation. What supplements might be helpful? Do they have gaps in their nutrition? Are they allergic? Are they intolerant? Are they whatever? You know, so we go through that. We talk about stress reduction and what that looks like for them because it's different for everyone. We talk about optimizing their sleep. And so those six things together are going to put it all, you know, now when we have a conversation around hormone replacement therapy, okay, we've ruled out that there's any contraindications. Okay. Are you interested in considering this? Yes, I am. All right. I said, well, there's, we have to start with estrogen. That's the most important hormone, okay, in your menopause journey. It's the lack of estrogen that's causing so many of these issues. And so we need to replace it. We're just going to give you back what your ovaries used to make. I tend to stick to things that look just like what the ovaries made, which is going to be estradiol. I do not prescribe estrone or estriol. A lot of people who are getting into the compounding and compounding is not FDA approved. Therefore, it's never going to be covered by your insurance. And you have great options that if you want to use your insurance that we can offer in the form of a regular prescription you would take to a local pharmacy. Covered by insurance. If you don't have insurance, we can use GoodRx or Mark Cuban and get you semestradiol for probably $20 a month. If you need to add in progesterone. Now, we always add progesterone if you have a uterus. Unless you have a Mirena IUD, then that's protective. But for some women, the addition of progesterone can help with sleep, can help with anxiety if taken at night, especially if you're like waking up with racing thoughts and that kind of thing. So progesterone can be helpful for that. Testosterone is a little trickier. I do not routinely replace someone's testosterone. There's not enough data to support me doing that. And that's kind of a separate conversation. So how do we get the estrogen in their body? I said, well, there's oral and non-oral options. The oral is going to be a pill. It works great medically. It'll give you all the benefits, but it can, it will hit the liver first. Anything we ingest will go to the liver first for processing. And when estrogen hits there, it's going to bump your clotting factors a little bit. So seven out of 10,000 women without risk factors are going to have a blood clot who otherwise wouldn't have. I can negate that risk with a transdermal option. So a gel, a cream, or a patch. And so have multiple dosing options for patches. So I generally prescribe a patch. And the progesterone, the safest way to give it, at least from the data from France, is going to be the oral micronized progesterone. Again, very similar to what your ovaries made. So that's kind of the conversation I have. I personally don't do a lot of compounding outside of testosterone. If my patient, most of my patients can tolerate the FDA approved options. Good question. There's a story, I don't know if there's truth or not, that if you start taking it, even though your numbers are okay, your body's going to stop making it. Is there truth to that? There's a certain level that you take that will suppress your ovulation. Quite often in perimenopause, these roller coaster of hormonal changes that you're going through, suppression is the only way that you are going to feel like a human being again. And so for those patients, we fight to suppress. For other patients, we just need to supplement. So if you give them a high enough dose, yes, you will suppress the ovaries. That's how birth control works. You are suppressing ovulation, no egg, no baby. And for some women, it works really well for them. This is where the art comes in. There's a lot of trial and error to finding the right dosage for someone. There's no magical therapeutic window. Having to come back to get levels checked is just another way to throw $20 out of the window. If my level, just I'm making up a number. If my level's 100 and your level's 100, it means nothing. If I'm still symptomatic, I need more. 
Okay, good to know. You're feeling great. You're fine. Stay where you're at. So I'm going to bring you back again because I love all the six pillars. And then we get into the Galveston diet, which read, read, read. It's so good. I read it in two days. I've recommended it to tons of people. In fact, it was so funny. I called a friend the other day and we have this acupuncturist in town we love. And she said, Molly, my acupuncturist just told me to read the Galveston diet. I said, I need to read Mary Claire on Friday. What would you say would be your top things you would say around nutrition, intermittent fasting? All the pillars of the program, the three pillars, are meant to help lower inflammation levels. And when we lower inflammation levels, leptin, ghrelin, cortisol, insulin all work better and we stop driving as much fat to the abdomen. I'm not saying calories aren't important. Of course they are. If I eat 3,000 calories a day, I will put on fat in places where I didn't want to. Yeah. And I'm not exercising that much. But, you know, not if I eat 1,200 calories a day worth of donuts and something with no nutritional value, high in processed sugars, high in saturated fats, don't pretend like that's not going to affect me very differently than eating an anti-inflammatory Mediterranean-like Galveston diet-like nutritional plan. Diet and medicine is a pattern of eating, not a fad. It's not, are you on a diet? When I talk to a patient, it is, what is your diet? And so when I named the program, it was a prescription for my patients. I wasn't trying, yeah, I had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> to write a book, it was going to become a right. program. I was just trying to help my patients who were frustrated. Which is always the best way. So the intermittent fasting, the anti-inflammatory nutrition, and the fuel focus, things that give fuel you focusing, fuel. And yeah. you have all the foods. I took all your quizzes online. They were so helpful. So we oh, have I- an anti-inflammatory nutrition yes. quiz. I was like, I need a tool because so many people are like, I eat healthy. And I would have said the same thing. I eat healthy, I eat healthy, I eat healthy. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because it worked for you in your 20s and 30s, just meant it was working for you. We can only educate ourselves more about the quality of nutrition. Take the inflammation quiz because you may shock yourself as to the choices that you're making and how they fall on an inflammation scale. And the scale has been verified. So... I just borrowed somebody else's work and turned it into a quiz. We also have a perimenopausal quiz that you can say, hey, I think are my symptoms due to perimenopause? And you go take the quiz and it'll tell you the likelihood. And this was created by the Australasian Menopause Society and verified. And so I just borrowed their work, gave them credit and put it together in a quiz for people to take just so they can see. Could this be perimenopause? And of course, that quiz is linked to information like with your email, you'll get links to my blogs about how to talk to your doctor about hormonal placement therapy, how to advocate for yourself. Here's some articles to print out and take with you to the visit so you can maybe educate your healthcare provider. North American Menopause Society has a great list of providers. I have a list that my followers have said, hey, this is a great provider. Read my testimonial. We just make sure they're in practice. Just because your doctor was a great obstetrician and you had this beautiful relationship, delivered all your kids, blah, 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 did your hysterectomy, does not make them a good menopause provider. And I know because I was one of them. (laughs) And it's just a lack of education and training and it's not their fault. Top thing you would say about exercise? Stop exercising to be skinny. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. If I could tell my 25-year-old self anything, it'd be like, pick up some weights. Your muscle mass is everything and your body is fighting to shed muscle every day after 35. And it accelerates in perimenopause and menopause. And that muscle mass is what is going to keep you as healthy as possible as you age. We exercise to be strong for strong minds, strong bones, strong muscles, and strong hearts. That's it. 
get out of the mindset that you're going to out-exercise a poor nutritional choice or a piece of cake or whatever. Eat your cake. My God, enjoy it. But you need to focus on exercise so you can lift a grandchild, so you can climb that mountain, so you cannot worry your children, your loved ones with your illness and chronic disease. I don't want to be a burden on the people I brought into this world. Of course, I'm going to get sick one day and I'm going to die. Okay, they realize that. But I don't want this long, drawn-out, five, 10-year thing where they're having to take me to appointments. My biggest fear is that I won't be able to think and I won't be able to move. And the choices we make today are going to determine the chances of that happening. That's great that you said that. But I do need to do more weight training. You've motivated me. I'm going to do more of that. Okay, so you had nutrition, exercise. What was the third one? Pharmacology. Pharmacology. Okay, we talked about that. Anything else you want to share about pharmacology? If you're not a candidate for hormone replacement therapy, other pharmacology is available based on your symptoms. So the only thing that's kind of a fix-all is going to be the estrogen and maybe testosterone if you have libido issues. But if you can't, if estrogen is off the table for you, for hot flashes, for example, we have things like Neurontin. We have things like SSRIs or antidepressants. Some of the antidepressants actually will help with hot flashes. Somehow that got turned into all women in menopause needed to be treated with antidepressants. No, it is not the gold standard. You should never be offered that as first-line therapy. And Thank so saying that. Uh, galoxaphine is the most, the one that seems to help the best with hot flashes. And clonidine can be helpful as well. And so we kind of look at it symptom by symptom. And so finally, thank God, like the orthopedists are getting involved and talking about frozen shoulder and what you can do for that. So many of these maladies, other societies are beginning to recognize have a strong menopausal component and they're starting to come up with strategies to help their patients through these disease processes that are linked to menopause instead of just being like, oh, it's your age. Oh, too bad. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Thank you, Naomi Watts. You, I say you, Oprah, <laughs> all these top leaders who are Michelle Obama, this, Michelle yeah. Obama, who are speaking this language and putting it at the forefront because a lot of people need to hear this information. Okay, your fourth one was, was it sleep? Optimizing your sleep, making sleep a priority. Everything from sleep hygiene, the screens at night, the blue light, the stimulus in the environment, keeping your room cool enough, having the right support for your mattress, your head, your neck, so that you can optimize your sleep, watching your alcohol consumption, especially in menopause. Alcohol is so disruptive. Red wine, uh, brutal. Woo, Such a bummer. I mean, Such a bummer I too, pay the I price every time. Kills me. And I used to be able to get away with it. Menopause yes. took that away. Nope. Me too. Mm-hmm. Nope. So when I have that glass of wine, I know I'm sacrificing my sleep. And I know do that too often. And I'm going <laughs> to... And so once in a while, fine, but I am not getting a good night's sleep. It's How many night. hours would you say? Eight still seems to be what we need, seven to eight. Most of the sleep medicine experts still agree that is your goal. I actually invested, I, I don't I know. Affiliation. I know, what is it called again? The, so it's called the Aura Ring. Aura O-U- Ring. And Peter has, Peter Atia has it. But m- one of my girlfriends, who's super fan of Peter Atia was wearing it at a conference we had. And I was like, what's that? And I love data. I like my Apple Watch. It's measuring all my stuff. <laughs> and so this measures your sleep and it'll measure how much you're in deep sleep and your light sleep and your REM and kind of give you scores based on that and then make suggestions on how you can improve that. So I've gotten really into what I do in my life and how it affects my sleeping patterns and what I can do to maximize that and just really more conscientious. Now there's probably cheaper ways than this. But it um, works. Yeah. I was curious. It does it work. Really does work. And okay. 
My husband's got one now. We wake up in the morning and we're like, what'd you get? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we're not having sex in the way. We're talking about our aura rings. Yeah. We're right? talking about Who knows? Our sleep rings. So it's really, it's really fun. So it's a great tool, but it's not cheap. The rings run three, 400 bucks and then you have to pay the monthly fee. So, but for me, it's worth the investment. And because I have a wellness company, I just write it off. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Find a way. No, it's huge. I know. Okay. The fifth one was? Stress reduction. I know. And as a therapist and a woman works, my whole passion is about helping people feel better about themselves, reach their highest potential. Stress is big, you know. That can look different. It's different for everyone. So what would be your top two things? That's different for everyone. I didn't like the whole journaling or meditation thing. It was woo-woo to me. But then I worked with a therapist and she's like, just give it a try. So I downloaded one of the apps. I did Headspace. And it's so... The guided thing, that little man talking to you, he sounds like the Geico little lizard man. (laughs) Uh, He's got that same voice, but it was just great. And I'd never done anything like that before. And it was just such a time in my life where I needed that kind of support. And just having someone guide me through it, through the app was amazing. I also started journaling about gratitude, just taking the time to say the things and to give the things up to God or to whomever just to say, take this off my plate today and having that all written down and going back and looking and being like, I can't believe I let myself get all worked up about that. Watching your growth and your progress was so powerful. But for others, it might be prayer. For others, it might be girlfriend time. For others, it might be yoga. Whatever that is that gets you back to you grounded where you're just focused on breathing or you're focused on something that is just turning that brain off and taking the time to explore what that's going to mean for you. Thank you for saying that. Okay, the last two. So we have nutrition, exercise, pharmacology, supplementation. So you can't swallow a car payment's worth of supplements and just go on about your day and hit the drive through and expect to work miracles. It's not how this works. Supplements are meant to supplement a healthy diet, okay? Filling in gaps. So if you're not getting enough fiber, despite your best efforts, a little fiber supplementation. So many of us are deficient in vitamin D despite our very best efforts. Most of my patients, the vast majority are on vitamin D supplementation. Sometimes extra can be medicinal, magnesium. There are multiple forms out there. It can help with GI, constipation issues, everything to repairing a deficit, to working in your brain for sleep, anxiety, depression. Magnesium althuronate is my favorite for any kind of mental health issues. There's a great study showing how it was helpful in people with SSRI-resistant depression. And so... I do a lot of conversations with my patient around that. What are their symptoms? Some of them have gone to other, some kind of practitioner and they're coming in literally with two grocery bags full, shopping bags with multiple bottles. And I don't know what half of it is. And I'm like, look, my rule of thumb, and I have no science to back this up, but if you can't fit everything in one of those seven-day pill boxes, you're probably taking too much or you need to look at your food. And so supplements should not be a car payment should not be a house payment. <laughs> Spend that money on groceries, <laughs> meal prep, on a food yes. service delivery, not on supplements. It's not the miracle you think it is. And so many people are falling into that trap. I'm guessing the number one question people are going to say is, how do I know what supplements I'm supposed to take? Because I've so, been in that place. Okay, so here's my little quick and dirty. Download a free online tracker. Free, okay? Chronometer is my favorite. And just eat normally for a couple of weeks. Just eat what you eat. And look to see on your tracker. I've got mine right here. It's an app on your phone? 
Yeah. So my favorite one is chronometer. My daughter majored in nutrition science and this is the one they use. So she's the one who told me about this when she was in school and she's starting med school in July. Oh, that's wonderful. Proud of her. She did it. I just fed her and paid for everything. And um, (laughs) literally like she was born that way. Yeah. And so she was like, mom, you got, you're not, because I was using some other tracker. And she's like, this is the one that the nutrition scientists all use. And no, no, no. It's got a really clean database and it wasn't built for keto and it wasn't built for calorie counting. It was built for measuring nutrients. And so get a tracker and just track your nutrition. All of these apps, most of them have, how much calcium did you get? How much fiber? How much magnesium? And then look to see where your gaps are and then use food to try to fill those gaps. And if you can't, then you should supplement. And then you should take vitamin D. <laughs> you said a great question. You said food is medicine mm-hmm. and nutrition is psychiatry. So I love that. Thank you for that quote. I think it's really helpful. And okay, and the last one after supplements was? I think that's it. So we that's had, it. yeah, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress reduction, pharmacology, and supplements. I love it. Okay. So to close out, I asked four really quick questions, like fire round questions. Okay. The first one is they're just kind of fun to get to know you more as a person. Well, this will be interesting with all your wisdom and information. You're on a desert island mm-hmm. and you can have one food, one drink, and you have water. So don't choose water. And one entertainment or pleasure. And you can't be your phone. What would you choose? Books, for sure. Yeah, my Kindle. <laughs> yep, yep. Books. I just couldn't live without them. Food, one food, avocado. Yeah. Yeah. Love from one drink. Gosh, I love it. I, oh, good sparkling water. Yeah. You know, but I like bubbles with lemon or lime or something is my kind of go to. I don't like sodas. Maybe some tea. So if I have water, then like an herbal tea, like a cinnamon apple tea. Okay. You have a dinner party mm-hmm. and you can invite two to three people dead or alive. And why? Gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I would invite, who would be so fascinating to talk to? I think Oprah. Yeah. Love or hate her, whatever. But I think, God, she'd be a fascinating conversation and so entertaining. Oh, yeah. Um, I love her. I love her. And I would, oh, that's, I, my brain can't even like, you know, the thing's spinning and I can't get it to stop. Your brother? Maybe your brother. Yeah. Yeah. He might not be that nice to Oprah. Uh, <laughs> My fabulous brother. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd love to see him again. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to get that closure and finish that conversation. I never did. Right. I did with my next brother and with my dad. But but yeah, love to see Bob again. Yeah. What does love mean to you? Ooh. I just had this conversation with my daughter, who kind of, who's struggling with a relationship that she's got and boundaries and toxicity. And uh, and that definition has probably changed over the years. I think my marriage, my longest relationship has gone outside of the people that were born through so many iterations and so many ups and downs and just never, we've just never given up at the same time. And just knowing that person always has your back. That's beautiful. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom that's laying on your heart that you want to share with our audience? You 
are not stuck. You don't have to live like this. If your menopause is not what you want it to be, there are things there for you. It's a little hard to find right now, and I'm doing my best to fix that, but don't give up on yourself. You deserve not only to just survive menopause in the rest of your life, but to thrive every single day and be the best version of yourself. What a perfect way to end this conversation with you. So thank you so much, Mary Claire. You are such a gift to the world. Really in these times, we need you. We need you. And I'm just grateful that you've stepped forward and allowing to be a voice and a heart and a brain and a body and a nutrition expert and everything around it and a doctor. Thank you for coming on the Podcast. I cannot begin to thank you for listening to the Cracking Open Podcast. If you want to hear more about what I do and how I work with women all over the world on finding their voice, feeling not so alone, and oh, so much more connected to themselves and others, head over to my website, molly-carol.com for all my information and podcast show notes. Please remember to comment on your favorite part, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. New episodes are dropping every other Thursday. I also have a special gift for you. Go to mollycarolprograms.com slash map. You can also connect with me on Instagram at mollycarolinc and on Facebook at molly.carol.56. It is on these places you can become part of my Cracking Open community and I cannot wait to hear from you.